welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Joe, thanks for having me. You that was a little bit more. It was stiffer. A little. I don't stiffer. know what that was. Yeah, it was a little more like I'm on a uh, like Meet the Press or something, and I wanted to be a little more formal. <laughs> it, it was a little more formal. I I appreciated that yeah. formality. Uh, I am uh, here in beautiful. It's not beautiful today, but but normally beautiful surprise Arizona uh, as part of spring training baseball. You are in L.A., right? Just I'm doing... in, as I always am, in Los Angeles, California. Yeah. <laughs> doing California. So, but if we're going to talk a little baseball today. It's going to be fantastic. I'm super duper excited. Uh, but first, I, I, you know, I'm going to ask you what, 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 what happened at the Oscars? What, what was that? <laughs> what, what? So now I, I have to answer for show you business. Have, you have to answer. You represent all of show business. Uh, no, I've never seen anything like that. Never seen anything like that. Yeah, I um, I have to say I wasn't watching it when it happened. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, I I um, I was watching uh, ESPN highlights of the Celtics game, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, my wife was upstairs putting our daughter to sleep, and she came down and went like. Ooh, something crazy happened at the Oscars. And I was like, how crazy could it be? What did like, you know, hell or high water one best picture? Like how, like, what's the craziest thing that could have happened? And then obviously we got the answer. I mean, I, you know, I, I kind of enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it and hated it um, yeah. in equal parts. I enjoyed it. And I'm sure there's the same reasons that everybody enjoyed it and hated it. I enjoyed it because it was truly a moment of unexpected surprise, the likes of which no one has ever seen before. It was very dramatic. It was also handled unbelievably well. And oh I know that gosh. a lot of people have said this, but huge, enormous props to everyone on the La La Land uh, production team for handling an absolutely brutal moment with incredible grace and sort of, you know, very straightforward sort of like, oh, there has been a mistake, here's the real winner. That, I mean, I would love to believe that we would all handle such situations in life with such aplomb. I don't think it's true. Uh, and that, all of those people, I mean, that was incredible. The The reason I hated it was because I just hate awkwardness. I'm, yes. I have a very low tolerance and I'm very squeamish about awkwardness and people who are put into those situations. I can't watch most reality shows because... Most reality shows celebrate awkward moments and sort of human misery in a way that I find awful and and I and I tend to sort of shy away from it wherever I can find it. And the situation was just sort of awkward for everyone. I felt very bad for the La La Land people. I also felt bad for the Moonlight people because even though in the end they, you know, they won the big prize, they also deserve to get that moment where someone yes. walked up and opened an envelope and said their names and it they it kind of like tumbled out in this really awkward backwards way now i had a long debate with a friend of mine about would you rather win the normal way or the moonlight way because the moonlight way is the way of like it's a it was it was like sports sort of yes, yes. it was like it was like the super bowl or like the like the i don't know the the um an insane ninth inning comeback against a great closer or something where you you're like it's this is over the game's over and we lost and you have definitive proof that you lost. And then suddenly there's this insane surprise. I mean, I don't know. I'll put it to you. Would you rather win the normal, happy, straightforward way or would you rather win the crazy way? Well, I, it's interesting. There, there are a few thoughts I have on what you said. First of all, it's interesting that, that you, you know, it, I am also very squeamish about awkwardness. And yet you wrote for The Office, which obviously sort of celebrated a little bit of awkwardness, which I think is kind of interesting. Like, yeah. you know, that's that's it's interesting uh, how people respond to awkwardness. I mean, there are people that like love it. I mean, that's why reality shows are so popular, I think, is, sure. that, is that people. But I it is I'm the same way. I really don't like it. That said, I I did not get a sense of awkwardness out of this. I felt awkward for Price Waterhouse Cooper, obviously, for screwing <laughs> it up. I felt really awkward for Warren Beatty, actually, because my first reaction was Warren Beatty's lost his mind. And it, he was actually put in an impossible situation. And he sort of seemed like he might pulled his way through it because he wasn't going to say La La Land. 
But then he kind of handed the card over to Faye Dunaway, and she said La La Land. And she obviously, you know, only saw the name. She didn't realize that it was a mistake, but he did. So that was interesting. But I thought it was beautiful. I, I mean, I really thought it was, oh, I felt terrible for the La La Land people. I love that movie, and I felt bad for them. But, but they handled it. It was, I mean, watching Grace in action like that, because they didn't just sort of, uh, you know, they didn't just sort of say, oh, you know, hey, a mistake was made. They were like adamant, like, hey, Moonlight won this thing. God, those guys are awesome and they deserve this. And this is not a joke. And I, I just thought he handled it, you know, especially the producer, but all of them handled it really, really beautifully. So I like that. That said, I think I'd rather win the the old way, right? You want to hear your name and hear the music and walk up so. and right. I mean, that's a little bit better way to do it. But that said, they they've won it in a way that nobody will ever again win an Oscar, right? Where yeah, they, they that's lost right. And it's like, oh, we're leaving. No, you won. That there is something like unique about that emotion. Okay, so I'll say this too. This is an important point. Um, the word producer is uh, is used a lot in very, a lot of very different ways in Hollywood, on movies, TV shows, whatever, right? And it's sometimes hard to know what producers do. And Jordan Horowitz, who is the guy who was the one who actually kind of was like, oh, there's been a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture, that guy. It's him as Jordan Horowitz. I don't know him at all. I've never met him. I'd never seen him until last night. But if you want to know what a producer does, in essence, it's what he did. Yeah. There was a chaotic weird situation he was on stage he got a piece of information he acted very swiftly and decisively and the moment where warren Beatty, where like he's he's trying to say no you guys this isn't a joke come up here and there was yeah. a lot of confusion he turned on and saw the envelope the actual card and he decisively grabs it out of warren Beatty's hand and holds it up perfectly so the camera can see it and said, you got, this is it, you guys won. Like that move, that is what a producer does. If you're ever wondering what it is that a, what is a producer's job, it is exactly that job. And it, it, it's silly, of course, to say that in part because it's never happened before. But it's it was an incredibly uh, apt description of producing. It's that there's a lot of chaos and confusion and a lot of people milling around, not knowing what they're supposed to be doing a good producer figures out how to make order and sense out of chaos. And that is exactly what he did. And that guy is a hero to producers everywhere <laughs> because it was so, it was just handled as well as it could have possibly been handled. And that move of grabbing the piece of paper and holding it up saying like, this is the proof and this now I, here's the proof I have to the, where we can move this along that was the best producing I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> it was. So kudos was, to that guy. Oh, yeah. In that moment, you know, where you where your emotions are torn and twisted and, and all of yeah. that. In that moment to be, yeah, not just graceful, but decisively graceful like that yeah. is, yeah. I, it, it was, it ended up being awesome. And as I said uh, on Twitter, um, in a way... There is a beautiful irony. Uh, I don't know if, if irony is the right word, but a beautiful sort of symmetry uh, with the fact that La La Land had two endings, right? I mean, that's sort of <laughs> sort of the essence of, of La La Land. So uh, anyway, there there was our Oscar uh, discussion. I, I, will, way, I would also add one more thing, which is that in my humble opinion, Moonlight was the best movie of the year. I thought it was stunning and beautiful and was incredible a writer on the good place season two a guy named Corey jefferson pointed out that uh it, it's a movie specifically about the african-american experience that is in no way the uh, ha uh centered around the characters responding to or relating to racism from white people which is a very rare thing if you think about it if you think of the other movies even the african-american centered movies of this year a very good year for african-american filmmakers and, and actors, uh, Fences and Hidden Figures and, uh, you know, the, most movies that are about the African-American experience in America are in some way related, obviously, to the brutal, awful history of racism 
uh, and segregation and slavery and all of those, in, you know, all of those topics. And this was a movie that wasn't about that. And for the African-American community, I think that was a huge deal. I think that's a really big deal that that movie that was just about African-American people and a specific experience won Best Picture. That's a huge deal. So I was happy, personally happy with the result. Yeah, look, it was, it was, it's a beautiful movie. And, and, uh, you know, and I loved La La Land. My feeling on it was, we and I, you and I have talked about this before. It's, these awards are stupid, right? I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> Moonlight was as good a movie as it could be. And La La Land was as good a movie as it could be. And they're not going for any of the same things. I mean, you know, obviously they're the same you know they're they're, go, they're going for cinematography and they're going for beautiful you know for great acting and beautiful things like that. But they're going for different emotions. They're telling different stories. Uh, you know, if they're both you know super high you know ten out of tens in their particular genre, I don't know how you compare them. So you yeah. know, I, I think how you were I was touched by Moonlight and I was touched by by uh, La La Land in very very different ways. But I didn't think it was, I mean, I, I thought it was, I, I think it could have gone either way. I didn't think it was a bad choice. I just thought, oh, La La Land won, which is kind of what I think most people thought was going to happen. And then right. it's like, oh, no, Moonlight won. And, and you know, so now you feel like, well, did La La Land just get it, like, stolen from them? You know, but, but that's that's not really what happened. And so anyway, it was, it was quirky and weird. Um, but I thought Moonlight was fantastic i thought this was a good year for movies actually i thought fences yeah was you know interesting and but the acting is so good that you just you just drawn in i mean yeah you know i i thought manchester it was it was preposterously depressing i mean it was it was <laughs> just it was but it was it was really good but it was it, you didn't walk out of there going yeah i can't wait to see that again you know i mean that wasn't <laughs> the feeling um but I will say this about the Oscars, last thing, because every year, of course, my family, going back, you know, 40 years, uh, we always had our Oscar pool. Back, I think I think we were one of the first to have an Oscar pool. I, I want to believe that to be true. Yeah, Probably you guys Oscar. invented it. We yeah. invented the Oscar pool, yes. Yeah. And um, I, I was a disaster. I didn't get anything right. I It was, I literally, if I finished, like, below my daughters, I mean, I just had a terrible Oscar prediction thing. Because this was the year that I kind of said, you know what, I'm not going to even research it. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to pick the movies I think. Because I saw most of them. I said, this is the movie. I'm just going to pick the movies I think should win. And none of those won. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let me, let's do our, uh, our ad before we get started here. Let me get started. We're like 15 minutes into this thing already. Um, <laughs> Blue Apron, of course, is our sponsor. You know, you said you were gonna you were gonna try Blue Apron. Have you have you given it a shot? Unsurprisingly, I have not managed to accomplish that task yet. Sorry, but you will because their Blue Apron is fantastic. It's not uh, for I'm, lack of interest. It's for lack of my getting my l life together. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Blue Apron just wants you to put your life together, don't you think? That they're that's looking really out for me. Yeah, they they just they want they're rooting for me. They are rooting for you. You've probably seen commercials now, Blue Apron, uh, the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They, uh, it's that's all it is. I mean, they just deliver food to you every week. They don't deliver uh, made meals. They deliver all sorts of uh, ingredients, fresh ingredients, farm ingredients. So you're getting like actual tomatoes and lettuce and 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 you know other other vegetables that I don't even know what they are. Uh, and then they give you a, a recipe card and you make it. And it is really, in, in all seriousness, I, I think that the only reason Blue Apron uh, advertises with us is to get me to do it. I think that was the only reason that they did that because it has been like a real thing in our family. Like the, the girls love doing it and uh, and I get involved a little bit on the, on the cooking side. And, and my wife, Margo, of course, is... Uh, you know, she loves going through and picking out which things we're going to eat. So it's like a, it's a family bonding thing, and which is which is pretty cool. And of course, I have to say, if you are a podcast listener, which you are, uh, you go to blueapron.com/podcast, p-o-s-c-a-s-t, and you get your first three meals free, including free shipping. So great deal. 
What a deal. What a deal for you. That's it. That's all. That's that's the best I can do. That's that's that was me stretching myself. Uh, I have to say, in the long and sordid history of trying to read these ads without incident, that's the best it's ever been. I think it is. It is. I definitely think that was my my best performance. Right yeah, there. it was yeah. smooth. There weren't any like huge blunders. I mean, now we're screwing it up by talking about it. <laughs> But generally speaking, that was pretty good. I want you to get it. I, I really do. I really want you to, first of all, I want you to do these ads. So I'd like you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want you to try it. I Because, I, I mean, you know, look, we have never in my in, in the history of the podcast uh, advertised something we didn't firmly 100% believe in. I mean, I think that goes without saying. Um, but I got to say, this is the, very cool. Blue Apron. All right. All right. I we promise at some point in the next, let's call it four calendar years, <laughs> I will. It's sort of like an election cycle. You yeah. in the, Within this election cycle, you will. Or maybe get. slightly after the next presidential <laughs> election cycle. Let's give, give me a little couple months of leeway. I'm going to do this. And I will report back with my findings. All right, I am in Arizona doing baseball, writing, talking, all sorts of things, surrounded by baseball. You've been invited to come down, as you know. I know, yes. You're, you're not going to be able to make it, but we're going to talk baseball, and we're going to do it spring training style, which is we are just going to uh, throw baseball topics at each other and just talk baseball for however long this thing lasts, I guess. Um <laughs> So and I'll start. I, I'll start. I, I will start with the, the first topic. Um, so I'm in in surprise, uh, which is sort of centered. Uh, you know, obviously the Ray, the not obviously like people at home are like, oh, surprise! I know exactly where that is. The Royals and the Rangers train here. Uh, one direction you've got the Dodgers and the White Sox, and the other direction you got the Mariners and the Padres. So it's all on one like little line. They're all about 20, 30 minutes apart, uh, which is very cool. Uh, and I'm really interested in the Padres. That's who I'm going to start with. Um, have you heard that the Padres are going to be trying all kinds of, maybe, they're, they're, they're at least saying they're going to do it, all sorts of quirky things with their starting pitching. They're going to actually, all of these things that you and I and a million people have been talking about forever, uh, trying like a starting pitcher only goes an inning or only faces the bet, uh the batter uh, goes once through the lineup or whatever the case may be, they're going to completely blow up. Perhaps again, they uh, other people have said they would do it and didn't do it. Um, but they might blow up the idea of the traditional starter. What do you think? Very interesting. I mean, a couple of years ago, there was a lot of hope around the Padres. Remember like they had a, they were like, you know, they had, they have this beautiful ballpark. They had a kind of an interesting roster. They got Matt Kemp, you know, like they, they were, they had Derek Norris. They were sort of an up and coming team. And there was like reason to believe that they were going to kind of make some noise. And it just absolutely, not only did it not happen, I mean, it, it, the opposite of happened. It was a disaster. disaster. Yeah. And, and they had Will Myers. That's right. They had gotten Will Myers. They were like, they were, they had some they guys. Big game James. That was like the big acquisition. That's right. Yeah. They, That's they right. And so, and you know, they were terrible last year. They were, they had, they won 68 games. They were just miserably bad. And it's a shame because the the NL West is uh, it's a it's a fun division there's some good i mean the Dodgers are always kind of fun and they have Clayton Kershaw and then the they have the you know the the Diamondbacks got you know they got Grinky and it was like ooh they're making some noise and they've got you know Paul Goldschmidt in there and it it felt like ooh this is shaping up to be like a really interesting division and then the Padres just absolutely collapsed like they just fell to pieces and I kind of like the idea that they're like, all right, well, let's try stuff. Let's just try different stuff and see if anything works. By the way, no one's paying attention. <laughs> That's the other thing. They can do whatever they want. Absolute people in in the city of San Diego aren't paying attention to them. And so, if there's ever a like a you know franchise that could that could try stuff like this, it feels like the Padres can try it with zero repercussions if anything goes wrong because no one expects them to, to be any good ever. Why not? Why not? I've, I've always used to say that in Kansas City when the Royals were terrible. Why not be a laboratory for 
all sorts of ideas. Why? I mean, you know, what? What? At what point does it matter? You know what I mean? I mean, if you're going to lose 94 games like they did last year, and you look at the roster this year, and it, it ain't it ain't looking a lot better. You look at the <laughs> Padres; it really isn't. And you know, and you're kind of going, "Oh boy, I hope that you know this guy." It's it's you know, Will Myers is their star. Literally, I've heard Will Myers referred to as. Oh, Padre, the Padre star, Will My- Will Myers is not a star, not yet. I mean, I I think you have to have a lot of hope for Will Myers. He's still very young. But Will Myers hit 259 last year, you know? I mean, he hit 28 home runs, but that's Will Myers is not a star, and yet he's sort of the most recognizable face on on the team and and all of that. So, so basically they're at a point where why not? And I think somebody can really, I, I think the way that people use pitchers, and this has been a prominent topic for a while now, but the way the teams use pitchers, that to me is where Moneyball is now. You, The Moneyball opportunity to to take advantage of, of a, weak, you know, a, a sort of weak market, to me is how you use pitchers. Because everybody still uses them exactly, you know, we're not, nobody uses them exactly the way they did 30, 40, 50 years ago because pitchers don't go that deep in the game. But generally, that's what everybody wants to do. That's still the ideal is to have a starter go seven, eight, nine innings. Why not blow it up? I, I, say, I say go for it. Yeah, you know, I actually kind of thought some teams were going to start doing this the year that Bumgarner came in and closed out the uh, the World Series game yes. where he ended up pitching however many innings it was. <clears throat> I remember thinking, like, I wonder if teams would try that. I wonder if they would try starting a guy, like a starter, and then having the starter go, like, four or five innings and then bringing in another starter instead of a bunch of relievers and saying, like, why not, you know, maybe you could throw guys on four, uh, three days rest if you if they were only throwing... 60 to 70 pitches every four days or something like I it just seemed like there's enough data now there's enough anecdotal data at least of these kind of big moments where guys pitch in ways that are counter to the ways that pitchers have usually been used that have worked where you're like well maybe you know, like the Indians won a playoff game last year where everybody threw one inning and it's like well you know that's against a really good team maybe you should try this like maybe there's a Maybe there's a way that this works once in a while or more than once in a while. I mean, the problem with the Padres is they don't they have, there's no one who can hit on that whole team. <laughs> and they have a ballpark that suppresses offense so dramatically that I don't know that they ever will. I mean, it's it's really tough. You know, Solarte and Gervis Solarte was the league leader on their team last year with in OBP. He had a 341 OBP. He was the <laughs> He was. That's the best OBP of of any starter on their team. I mean, that's real bad. So, you know, they can do all the experimental stuff they want with pitching. I think they're you know they're until they can fix that problem, and yeah, they're not going anywhere. Well, they do have a couple of young guys that that they're looking at that you know maybe offensively can come around. I just like the idea. To me, I to me, yeah. it's like why not? Why not? You know, try something different and something new. All right. So there's there's our little Padres thing. Do you have a topic? I wanted to talk about the Colorado Rockies. Of course you did. I, <laughs> another team that no one pays attention to. The Colorado Rockies, uh, if you picked up the entire team and moved them to the Northeast, they would be a, they would be a big deal, I think. Yeah. Um, don't you think? Like they, I mean, they, it's not like they're amazing. They, they were a below 500 team last year. But this team has stars. This team has straight-up stars. They have DJ LeMahieu, who won the batting title. Um, they have Carlos Gonzalez, who's wonderful. They have Nolan Arenado, who, as we've talked about before, is a, is, is a, a yeah, he's absurd. He's an absurdly good player. Now, granted, you can already hear the uh, the uh, uh, chatter of on Twitter of like they play in a crazy stadium and and you know uh, their home away splits or players' home away splits are often very dramatic when you play in that um, in that stadium, but. This offense, at the very least, you would say the offense has le- many legitimate star players who are essentially anonymous, and it's a yeah. bummer because they're f- they're really fun to watch. Like 
their middle of their lineup, the first four or five hitters in their lineup are as good as the first four or five hitters in any lineup. And I feel like they, if they are, I mean, they are literally in the mountain time zone. I mean, they're not even on the West Coast. If you want to watch them anywhere but Colorado, you have to work really hard and make, they have those weird, they and the, and the Diamondbacks always have that weird thing where the games start at like 9 p.m. You know, it's neither, it's neither 7 nor 10 <laughs> you know, um, but I, I just want people to watch them because they're really fun to watch. And they have a bunch of guys on this team who, when they inevitably leave in free agency and go somewhere else, are going to be huge stars. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what I think about the Rockies. Um, one is what you're saying. I mean, you know, we're not even talking about, you know, young guys like Trevor Story, uh, you know, who I think is, you know, obviously looked like he was Babe Ruth the first week of the year last year and then still, you know, played only half the year and hit 27 home runs and yeah. and all of that. And, and look, a lot of that, yes, a lot of that is Colorado, but these guys are pretty legitimate hitters as well. Uh, but, and here's the big but, and, it's, and the big but is not going to be their pitching, which obviously is incredibly shaky. And although I do like Tyler Chatwood and, and John Gray, I mean, they have some young pitching. Here's the big but. I don't know what they're doing in Colorado. <laughs> so I, I, I have tried to break down. I've, I've, I've spoken with some GMs since I've been here, and I've tried to break down the Ian Desmond deal. And I cannot get my arms around why they signed Ian Desmond. And I have nothing. Ian Desmond is a wonderful person, uh, has been a terrific player, Um but I, they gave Ian Desmond a multi-year deal to play first base where he has never played before yeah. and has never hit like a first baseman in his entire career. I don't get that. And they, they, and they just did that. They just went, all right, you know what? Here's the thing we're missing, Ian Desmond. That is like the big move we're going to have to make. And I remember when the Royals uh, would do similar things like that. When the Royals were really bad – what you find is, look, you've got to spend money because you've got to convince your fans and, and, and people who want to believe in you that you care. And you have to convince them that you're going to be good enough. Um, you know, this year it's going to be different. And you so you have a little bit of money. You don't you don't have Yankee money or Red Sox money, but you have a little bit of money and you start throwing it around and you realize nobody's coming even for money, like they're like, no, except guys like Jose Guillen, like Jose Guillen is like, yeah, I'll take your money. That's fine. <laughs> and so that feels to me like what this is like Ian Desmond, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, it looked like Ian Desmond was going to be just one of these just great, great baseball players. He played short. He was a leader. He did everything right. He somehow, him in Washington that it, it didn't work out and it was kind of a kind of a sad deal. I mean, I, I don't remember exactly who turned down what, but it but it ended up just being this very, very sad ending for him. And he went to Texas and had a nice offensive year for him and and I felt really good for him and I thought, hey, you know, somebody'll sign him to a one or two year deal and and maybe he can really rebuild his career. And then Colorado's like, no, we want you for the next five years uh, to play first base. And I'm, I don't get that at all. So so I look at that organization and go, look, they've got a lot of good players, but I don't think they know what they want. I don't really think they have a, like a plan to actually win. That's how I look at them. Yeah, and they also have the weird thing about the Desmond signing was they also have some young guys in their system who are like, Ian Desmond types, yes, you know, who were like, who were coming up, who were maybe a couple of years away. They have a guy named Brendan Rogers, who's like a middle infielder, who is like a big prospect and he's yeah. maybe a year or two away. But yeah, that was, that was really weird. That was just straight up weird. And I don't uh, like, it does feel like the difference. And we've talked about this before in, in all sports is like, there are, it, it's like people were saying this about, um, about Sacramento, the, the Kings after the, after the, uh, Boogie Cousins trade. It's like, what are you doing? What's your plan? <laughs> Vlade Divac? Like, what's your plan? Do you have a plan? I, it's like it, and the difference between successful franchises and unsuccessful franchises and the Rockies would fall into that uh, latter category would be that it just never seems like the people running the team have like a a global plan. And you compare that, obviously the gold standard is 
Theo Epstein, who showed right. up in Boston and turned that franchise around and then showed up in Chicago and turned that franchise around. And again, obvious caveat, he did, did it with two teams, two franchises with an enormous amount of money to spend and all that sort of stuff. But he had a plan in both places. He had a big plan, and it just doesn't feel like that Rockies, since they got to the World Series in 2007, it doesn't feel like they've had a plan ever. No, and and look, the point about about Theo and Boston, you know, that was that was a really really good team that he that he inherited, and sure. you know, with a lot of really good players, and he he was very very smart. I, I don't think anybody in the game, maybe any sport, you know, other maybe the Patriots, but I I don't think the Patriots qualify for this. Nobody finishes a team better than Theo Epstein, like. A lot of people can get right to the brink. Like the Mariners a couple times have gotten to be that 85 to 88 win team, and they're pretty good. There are a few teams around baseball that are like that, um, and they can't finish the job. Nobody finishes the job, in my view, better. He he knows, has a just a really, really good sense of how to, to get those last few pieces of the puzzle uh, to make a team great, and, and I think that's part of his genius. But in, in Chicago, anybody could have done what he did in Chicago. If they'd had the discipline, the scouting ability, the the he, he didn't spend any money. The first, you know, later he got Lester and and all that. But anybody could have traded for Jake Arrieta. I mean, it wasn't yeah. he was he was out there. Anybody could have drafted. Uh, you know, I mean, Chris Bryant they, was was the what the second pick of the draft. So not everybody yeah. could have drafted him, but. Uh, Javi Baez was there for for other people to draft, and you know they didn't have Addison Russell. <laughs> Oakland had Addison Russell, right. so so you know it's he just made really really smart moves because he had an exact idea in mind and very simple, uh, simplified that deal was in his mind. We're going to get hitters. We're just going to load up on hitters, and I'll figure out the pitching later. I'll. I'll we'll be able to piece together enough pitching, and then once we get to be pretty good, we have enough money we can go out and get a couple of big time free agents. That's super smart, just really really smart thinking. I don't get what the Rockies are doing. I mean, if the Rockies, if they, if the Rockies would say, okay, look, that's what we want to do. We want to just completely, you know, just uh, hit a billion home runs in our ballpark and outscore everybody, and we'll worry about pitching later. Then you don't sign Ian Desmond to play first base. You know what I mean? And again, I, I this sounds so mean to Ian Desmond. I don't mean it that way because I really like Ian Desmond. And if he could play short or even even the outfield, hey, and take care of take advantage of his of his athleticism. His hitting is not as much in in you know front and center as is when you play first base. But to get him and not only to like hey. We'll we'll try him at first base, you know. To to no, that's the whole plan. The whole plan is Ian Desmond is our first baseman for the next five years. Right. That's not a winner. Not a winner in my book. Yeah, I'm a, I'm right. on your team here. All right, my next uh, my next uh, topic of discussion, uh, kind of a sad one. Josh Hamilton. Uh, yeah. You saw that Josh Hamilton is having knee surgery again. This is kind of it. I mean, I, I think it was over probably anyway. But this one sort of seems to clinch it. Have we ever seen a player sort of as star-crossed as Josh Hamilton? I mean, he's like he's like Roy Hobbs, right? It's almost exact. I mean, it's not exactly like Roy Hobbs in terms of the the Nobody way the events him. unfolded, right? Right, and also the problems are obviously different or whatever. But in terms of like, I mean, I think the lasting image that we will all have of Josh Hamilton is that home run derby, right? When all oh is said gosh. and done, yes. that is, that's the thing that I, at least I'll speak for myself. I will, that's what I will remember of Josh Hamilton, which was, I know it's a home run derby. I know that like the pitches are just being grooved, but he was, ju he just ascended into the baseball heavens. And it's like, it didn't matter. He, uh, I was texting with Brandon McCarthy at the time of that home run derby. And I was like, this is insane. I mean, this yeah. is, I've never seen anything like this. And he said something to me that I will never forget. He said, if you had a home run derby and the rules changed so you could only hit home runs the opposite field, Josh <laughs> Hamilton would still win. Like if you, if you told Josh Hamilton he could only hit home runs the other way, he would still beat everybody else in a home run derby. Like that's wow. how good a hitter he was. That's how... That's how flawless and sort of perfect his swing was. 
And what makes this so sad, what makes all of this so sad is that we got to see long, not just glimpses, but like long stretches where we got where that was true, where like he was the best player. He was the best hitter for giant chunks of time. I mean, yeah. the guy won the MVP. He won, he won an MVP award. He hit 359 um, that year. Yeah. He slugged 633. Yes. He, I mean, he was, he was Roy Hobbsian in when he was healthy and fit and happy. And it, it's just such a tragedy. It's a, it's a tragedy. I mean, it's not a real tragedy. It's a baseball right. tragedy, and there's a difference. But w- the fact that we got to watch him be the actual player he was supposed to be and then to watch him not be able to be that guy is really sad. It is. It is. I mean, you, you start from the beginning. He's the first pick in the draft, uh, and he's, you know, he's everybody's, uh, you know, everybody has, he's going to be just an incredible superstar. He goes through all of the various issues, personal issues in his life. It looks like he's never going to play. He starts, you know, on the rebound. He comes up. He's like immediately fantastic. Uh, he gets traded right away to Texas. He leads the league in RBIs. Then he wins the MVP two years later. Then he gets 43 home runs two years after that. And you're just blown away. And then he signs that Angels deal and it's over. Like it's just over immediately. Um, yeah, really sad. And I can't think of anybody quite like him. I mean, there are lots of story. You have Daryl Strawberry and, sure. and and others who have had like star-crossed careers. They've they've been very very good. But I can't think of anybody in recent times um, who was that good in stretches. And and yet at the end of the day, you would look at their career and go, it just didn't work out. You know what I mean? I mean, that's yeah. that's a that's a big that's it's sad. It's very sad. Very sad. I mean, I wish him well. Maybe he has one last kind of crazy run in him, but probably not. Probably not. I hope um, he does. Yeah. Um, my second and possibly final topic uh, <laughs> is I wanted to talk about the the prospects uh, this year, and I, and to ask you specifically, who are the young guys who are maybe going to break through this year into the majors that you're the most excited about seeing? Right. Now, I have a couple that I would talk about, but let me hear yours first. Well, I mean, I'm sure one of them that we're both going to talk about is Andrew Andrew Benintendi. I mean, I, I it it seems to me like we've seen something over the last few years that I think is I'm not going to say it's unique because it certainly happened uh, in baseball history, um, but it feels like it's different in this way. It feels like guys are coming up and are great like immediately, like yeah. really really good right away. And there have been players individually you know Pujols came up and was great right away and then you go all the way back to Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio I mean there have been guys but lately it feels like Mike Trout's great right away and Bryce Harper's great right away and Chris Bryant's great right away and Schwarber's great right away and all of these guys it feels to me like there's Ben Attendee's what 22 or whatever yeah uh he's had I don't know how many at bats has he had in the big leagues a few uh at bats and it already feels like he's already a star. You know what I mean? It feels like there's like no chance that he is going to go up and 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 flop. You know, I mean, it just doesn't. It doesn't. It feels like he's already there. It already feels like when you look at that Red Sox uh, offense that they're going to score a billion runs in large part because he's going to have a great year. You know, and yeah, and uh, it, there have been camp misses that that did miss obviously uh but everything about him just i mean you have to be super excited about him right i am and uh hugely excited and also the he completes this kind of insane young outfield that the red sox have which is ben intendi in left jackie bradley jr in center and mookie betts in right which is everyone is 26 or under and they're all all all-star caliber players i mean bradley and betts were all-stars last year and ben intendi looked like he was going to have a great rookie year and then got hurt and he missed most of the season. But yeah, I mean, that outfield is ridiculous when they're all playing. They can all field, they can all throw, they can all hit, they can all hit for power. Um, they can all run too. Which is, I mean, it's, it's a, it's truly a crazy outfield. I mean, I, I'm very excited about him. The, the, the guy that I'm also really excited about not on the Red Sox is Dansby Swanson, uh, yeah. the shortstop for the, uh, for the Braves who had kind of a crazy story. He was drafted first overall by the Diamondbacks 
uh, two years, a year and a half ago, really. Um, and then he was part of the trade that the Diamondbacks made to get Shelby Miller, which is insane. insane. It's insane to trade the first overall pick like less than a year after you draft the guy. Uh, crazy. And then he um, he came up to the Braves for 40 games or so last year, hit 300. He is a very, very good defensive shortstop. He's, you know, again, we've we've been talking about this specific fact a lot, but it bears repeating. There are so many good young players in this game right now. It is unbelievable. I, I don't yes. know if it's just, I don't know if it's, I, I don't know the other time when it felt like this, but it's like every, I mean, the Braves are terrible. The Braves are a wretched organization. And yet I'm going to watch a bunch of Braves games this year because I want to see this guy. And, yeah. and they, it's like every team everywhere has a guy like this, at least one guy like this, where you're like, ooh, I can't wait to see that guy play. Um, and so I'm very excited to see him. Cody Bellinger's coming up for the, probably going to be up for the Dodgers this year, who I don't know where he plays because he's mostly a first baseman and they have a, a established decent, first baseman. Decent first baseman, yeah. Yeah, um, but he's, I'm really excited to see him. He's, a, he's apparently like a gold glove caliber fielder who also like hits monstrous home runs. Uh, they've got, I mean, there's the, uh, who's the, who's the guy on the, on the Phillies, uh, Crawford, JP Crawford, Crawford is shortstop. another shortstop who's supposed to be like, in, you know, like incredibly good. They, it just, I can't, every team, every team in baseball has a guy that you've heard about that is like exciting. And, and you're right. It's a little bit like the way in the old days. And by the old days, I mean, 10 or 12 years ago, quarterbacks, weren't supposed to be able to come to the NFL and play right away. Right. And if they did, they were terrible. I mean, Peyton Manning was terrible his first year. A lot of, a lot of the guys who, play, who played early were forced into starting early on were terrible. Now, Cam Newton comes up and immediately kind of dominates, and Andrew Luck kind of dominated right away. Like, I mean, it's not like they're not perfect, and they have, you know, they, they have a learning curve. But these quarterbacks can now play in their rookie years. Carson Wentz got off to a great start this year. And it's a little bit, you're right, it's this, it feels the same in baseball. It feels like there are more guys than ever before who are between 18 and 22 who, who speed through the minors and get to the majors and immediately, you know, Carlos Correa was hitting third for the Astros in his, like, fourth game in the, in the majors and hitting well. And, like, it's, you're not, you didn't used to be able to do that. Or those guys, at least you would say, those guys used to be very rare, and now it feels like there's a bunch of them everywhere you look. It's really exciting. I, you know, it's funny. I was talking uh, with a guy who interviewed for a, a job with the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, big job with the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, and he said, uh, you know, they said to him at some point, oh, do you have any questions for us? And I told him, I said, what you should have asked him was, can I have a time machine so I can go back before when you traded Dansby Swanson? Can I, like... <laughs> Is, is there a way I can do that for you guys? Uh, that trade, that trade, so blows my mind. Again, if you trade somebody away, and then like, like as much as I like kind of poking at Orioles fans uh, for the whole Arietta thing, Arietta stunk for them. I mean, he stunk. Yeah, and he he was he looked his his windup was messed up, and whoever's fault that was. He comes to the Cubs and he found something, and and the Cubs obviously end up with a great pitcher, and the Orioles feel terrible. But that's a different thing than trading a guy you just took with the first pick in the draft. I mean, what in the world could be going on there? And that's the same thing I feel about Oakland with with Addison Russell. I mean, it, he was he was a top ten prospect when they traded him. I mean, it made no sense. Uh, a couple other guys I'd mention. Uh, one, obviously, you know. I don't know what they did in Boston over the last whatever three, four years. Yeah, but I mean the the number one prospect in baseball by most standards is Andrew Benintendi. Right. If it's not, it's Yoan Mankata. Yeah. Mankata, Mankata, uh, who the Red Sox traded. I mean, it's like right. the Red Sox had him. The Red Sox would have something. What is the number? It's something like fifteen top hundred prospects if they hadn't traded anybody. Yeah, well, there's those two guys. Then there's also um, Raphael Devers, who is still on the team, who's a third baseman, who right. uh, is in there. Anderson Espinosa, who was on the Padres, I believe. Manuel Margot, who's also on the Padres. Yes. Those are both Red Sox guys. Then there's Michael Kopech. I don't know if it's Kopech <laughs> or Kopech, who uh, it was in the Chris Sale deal, 
who was uh, traded to the White Sox and in like spring training or extended tra- spring training last year, some something through what appears to have been a 109 mile an hour fastball. <laughs> and he was, he was, uh, it wasn't from, from the mound. He was like goofing around. He was probably like 40 feet from the net or whatever. You can actually watch the video of it, but he, yeah, he routinely throws like 104, 105. Um, I mean, they traded and in that, um, in the uh, Yohan Mankata trade, they also trade Basabi and and Victor Diaz, like uh, two other good prospects. Like they, yes. I mean, they, it's insane. I mean, this th- when uh, when they um, you know looked at their cupboard, it was overflowing, and they have traded away now. Dave Dombrowski. I mean, it's like Dave Dombrowski's greatest dream, right? He loves he loves trading <laughs> prospects for major leaguers, and he got to a place where they had like 30 legitimate prospects and he turned them into a bunch of major league guys. He turned them into Chris sale and drew Pomerantz and, and Craig Kimbrell and all that, but they still have like three or four of the 20 that's, top or the 30 top prospects. It's really insane. That's what's insane. I mean, the, the insane thing was that he was willing to trade like the number two prospect in baseball, but not trading Ben Intendi because he's the number right. one prospect. In baseball. That's, that's just insane. All right. I got one more prospect to mention uh, because I know it'll make you happy to oh talk a little bit about Aaron Judge. Oh, no. <laughs> so Aaron Judge, uh, for, for those of you who don't know, is is a Yankee prospect. He's, not, I might be misreading this wrong, he's 12 feet tall and he weighs 450 pounds. Uh, he hits balls when he hits them, which is not often necessarily, uh, but when he hits them, they go a jillion miles. I mean, just absolutely a billion miles. His big issue, of course, has been that he swings and misses a ton. He came up last year, got 84 at-bats. He struck out in exactly half of them uh, in the big leagues and did not. uh, He flashed a little bit of the power, but not a lot of it because he almost never hit the ball. Um, But I got to tell you, if that guy starts hitting baseballs, if he starts connecting, which is a big if, of course, he is going to be your and my worst nightmare because that guy in that ballpark could hit like 800 home runs yeah i I mean in for real he's six seven um he's six seven and like like i mean that's like real yeah i think he's six seven 280 actually or or 275 yeah um now it should be noted not only you know 84 at bats is nothing and so it's hard to read too much into it but he did have a contact problem in general in the minors <laughs> the the one thing i'll say you know, first of all gary sanchez is going to be my worst nightmare forever like right. uh, there's no one no one is worse for me and and all <laughs> non-yankee fans than gary sanchez because of the position he plays how good he is defensively and how like otherworldly good he is at the plate he he's the guy who everyone's going to hate judge i, I it, it's worth noting the judge is 24 he's not 20 you know, he's a college, he's, guy. He, he was a college senior when he was drafted, I believe. That's right, and and so he's not like he, you're right in that he, um, if he starts hitting, he's a huge problem. But I, that's a much bigger if than some of these other guys, um, and and specifically that much bigger if than than Gary Sanchez. <laughs> oh yeah, well Sanchez is already up, and look, he, he's not. He's not the Yankees' best prospect. I mean, Glaber Torres is their best prospect. Right. The shortstop, I don't know if he'll be up this year uh, if they're going to wait on him. Uh, but Judge, the reason I, I think of Judge is that in, in their first game against the Phillies yeah. uh, in spring, he had a uh, Aaron Judge day. He struck out the first time, uh, you know, not even coming close. And then he hit, no exaggeration, like a 450-foot home run. And yeah. – it just seems to me like if he was on any other team, he would he'd kind of become maybe like a you know at at best he'd become a Chris Carter like player at best, but somehow because he's on the Yankees, I yeah. just can't I can't get out of my head that it's going to click for him. I mean he was a he's a legit prospect. I mean he's not he's not a top ten, but he's a top fifty prospect. He was a first round pick. I mean this is. He, he got to the big leagues pretty quickly uh, after being drafted. Uh, it could happen. That guy could that guy could hit a lot of home runs. Yeah, yeah. Exciting. And and it, it exciting. <laughs> how, dare, how dare you, sir? <laughs> you know, Yankee fans listen to this too. All right, fine. I guess they do. All right, one last topic. One last baseball topic. If you 
could have, obviously, you know, last year was sort of a dream baseball season in many ways, sort of in the, in the, in the larger sense, obviously it was not a dream baseball season for the other 28 teams or whatever, but in a larger sense, you having the Cubs and Cleveland in the world series, it couldn't have worked out better. If you could have one thing happen in baseball this year, one surprise, one thing, what would it be? Ooh, that's a good question. There you go. Uh, well, the first thing that comes to mind is I would want the Indians to win the World Series. Wow. Uh, how about that? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you always want your favorite team to win, blah, blah, blah. If that can't happen, I, I, I think that team is so fun. I think they're so good. I think they're so well-managed. I mean, the number one thing I would really want is for them to <laughs> drop Chief Wahoo. <laughs> but <laughs> that would that's, be a great that would be a good thing, yeah, but all, uh, that's off the field. On the field, uh, I would love a team, one of these teams that's been, I mean, the Indians is a perfect uh, team for this because they haven't won in forever and because they got so close and because they've had a lot of heartbreak. But th- the thing that really made last year to me was the was the ending of the drought in Chicago. And so I would love it if a, if, if a, a team that had never won or hadn't won in a really long time could win. I'd love that again. So you're talking about Cleveland, uh, teams with realistic chances. You're talking about Cleveland, Texas, Seattle, Houston. Um, I guess the Nationals technically count in that category. The Pirates would count in that category. The Dodgers technically, and they're not nearly to the same level. But like, I, I would just love it if the, the eventual, because I loved Kansas City winning, I love the Cubs winning. I love it when teams get to celebrate uh, in where they haven't celebrated in decades. I think that's the that that's what makes the whole season in retrospect seem really fun. Yes, I agree. I agree. Well, that's a that's a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one. That's not bad, um, right? Not bad at all. Well, look, that's what I want, obviously. But that's, see, I can't pick that because I grew up in Cleveland, so obviously that I think we're talking about assuming your team doesn't win or whatever. Yeah, it's right. So uh, the team, I'm, I have, a, I have two, one I've already talked a little bit about on, on the, on the podcast, which is um, that Mariners team. I'd love to see them finally do something. I, I, I don't know that I have a lot of faith in the moves they made just because not because they're bad moves. I think they, they made some very interesting moves. Segura was a very interesting move and uh, to play short and Dyson in the outfield. They've, they've got a very, very, good defensive outfield. I, I like some of the things they did, but I'd love it for Felix Hernandez really is what, what it comes down to. I just would love to see him finally in the playoffs. And, and, you know, I don't know how much longer Felix Hernandez has as a, as a dominant pitcher. He was not really dominant last year. So, uh, so I'd love to see Seattle do it for him, but I don't know that it feels a little too rushed. You know what I mean? I mean it feels just a little bit too like, they're just trying to throw things together to to make it happen, and that doesn't usually work. Um, but the other team, the team that I would love to see completely shock everybody, just have a shockingly great year, uh, is Milwaukee. I I just mm. want I just want I want it for Milwaukee. First of all, I love Milwaukee, the city. Uh, I I like that organization. I like you know some of the things that they're that they're doing. Uh, I think they're you know I think they're General Manager David Stearns is a smart guy. Uh, you know, they led baseball uh, in stolen bases last year by, like, a lot. You know, I mean, a lot of it was just because Jonathan Villar had, like, 60 stolen bases. But but they led by, like, 40 or 50 stolen bases last year. Uh, the stolen base feels dead to me. It'd be great if they could, like, bring it back a little bit. Uh, they've got all these terrific athletes that they're just throwing out on the field. So I like that. Um I don't know. I just I just kind of like Milwaukee. I I really enjoyed Pittsburgh. I would love to see Pittsburgh actually, you know, make a, a deeper run than they had, but that team feels to me like they're they peaked and they're going to probably have to sort of make another climb up. I I don't I don't yeah. think that that team feels to me like but Milwaukee and and it's going to, you know, it'll take a lot of things going right, but they've got some good young players and they're they're interesting the way that they've attacked this thing. So that that would be my favorite little surprise. Well, that would fit with my surprise, right? My my surprise is a team that hasn't won in a long time yes. winning. Yes, you're you're just getting more specific and saying, "How about the Brewers?" Brewers have never won. 
World Series. That's just crazy. We, yeah, it's crazy. You know, how many teams are there that have never won? The Rangers, Brewers, Mariners, Marlins. Astros. Oh no, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Rays, Astros. Is that Astros. it? Astros, Nationals. Nationals, technically, yeah, right. Marlins. Oh yeah, they won two. <laughs> doesn't, that, doesn't that feel totally wrong? That the oh, and the Rockies. Have, the Rockies have never won. And Rockies have never won. And the Padres, right? Uh, yeah. In fact, the Padres really, I mean, we've already discussed the Padres sort of doom, but San Diego never wins, right? I mean, that's, that's if San Diego wasn't San Diego, if it wasn't like on the water and, and with surfing and all the other weather, perfect weather and all that, that would be the like most pitied city on earth when it comes to sports, right? They've they've never win. They they what the last time they won was when like the AFL championship or something in the sixties. Yeah, um, now they're and now they're losing their team. They're just <laughs> losing their team. They just took their team away from them. Yeah, yeah, that's it's not a, great. Yeah, that's not that's. I feel. Yeah, you know what? I'd love to see the Padres do it. That's not going to happen. Really. I don't think you're going to get that wish this year. <laughs> Well, there you go. So we went around the league. So now you know what it is. It's time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. We talk about sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, nor Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast whoa, it's one last whoa. Uh, I mean, is it my turn first? I believe it's your turn first. Um, what do you think of the song, by the way? Uh, Jesse Barber sent that in. You got the email. Well, what do you think of the song? Yes, it did. I like it a lot. Yeah, it's really good. Really, Huge really fan. good. Huge fan of the of the new one last meaningless thing song, which might change every week. You know, you just people are lining up to do that one last meaningless thing song. <laughs> uh, a, a simple observation uh, for my one last meaningless thing. This th- uh, thing happened a while ago that was very well intentioned, and that thing was. People started making reusable water bottles, like metal ones or or even plastic ones. But it was like, don't buy bottled water. Carry around a reusable water bottle. Just fill it up and you'll help the environment, right? Great idea. And now there's ones that are like super fancy that keep, you know, uh, everything hot for hours or they keep it cold for hours. It's really great. And and I try to use them whenever I can because I, I don't like the feeling of using bottled water. The sure. problem is, is that everyone makes them now. Like you get them everywhere you go. There's like branded ones. Every every like organization makes these reusable water bottles with their imprint on the side. And now I have in my house like 29 reusable water bottles that are just sitting in a shelf. And I wonder and honestly whether. Yeah. First of all, they take up a lot of space. But second of all, I honestly wonder whether at what point. If we keep making these things at the rate we're making them, will the net effect on the environment actually be worse than it was <laughs> when, we, when we just all drank bottled water out of recycled plastic water bottles? I, I think that's a really – that's meaningless. It's yeah. really meaningless. Yeah. It's, it's not 100% meaningless, but, it, but it's pretty meaningless. I didn't quite nail the meaninglessness of it. it but fully, It didn't fully get meaningless because there is there is a, an actual larger point there. I do like those, those uh, water bottles. They do actually take up a lot of space, though. I mean, that is true. Like the, all of the things that we used to have, you know, cups and mugs and all that, that's just all like these – water bottles that yeah. through some sort of osmosis have ended up in our house. Well, I'm, I'm, and I, I want to make it clear. I'm pro the reusable yes. water bottle. I'm just saying that I have so many of them now that I just, I wonder. And also you don't want to, you can't throw them away. Right. No, no. And at one point last year, we, we rounded up like 20 of them and donated them to Goodwill because it was like, we don't, we have a hundred of these and we don't need a hundred. <laughs> we only need 80. So, so we donated 20 of them. But and, and I hope they're being used somewhere. But like we just keep getting more. They're just more all the time. Yeah, you'll never you'll never get out from underneath that. All right. Well, my one last meaningless thing is truly meaningless. Um, 
I I feel like um, pillows are evil, and basically, whenever I go to a hotel like I I am now and around baseball, I feel like I need more pillows the older I get to sleep, which is horrible because it's really not good for you to, to use that. It's not good for your neck or anything like that. But like I used to like need one pillow and that was fine. And then, you know, a couple of pillows and then three. I, the older I get, the more pillows I need to sleep. I now I'm like a four pillow sleeper, which is I just I know it's bad. I just feel like I feel like it's it's something that that is reflects I don't know. It reflects sort of the decline of my life. How many pillows uh, I need to sleep with? So, well, this, uh, this is a very misleading one last meaningless thing because you're right, not. Right. You started up by saying pillows are evil, as if right. as if pillows are the problem. Pillows aren't the problem. <laughs> you're not complaining about the existence of pillows. You're complaining about about aging and and needing them. Yes, well, that's right. I, that is true. But I also feel pillows. I was saying pillows are evil in the same way that maybe uh, an alcoholic would say that alcohol is evil. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like it is. They're evil. Not they're not evil things themselves, but they're so addictive. Uh, the older that you get, uh, how many pillows do you use? So, I, I I can't let that slide. I mean, that's the craziest analogy I've ever heard. <laughs> that, that what are you talking about? You they're not addictive substances that ruin oh. your life. They're you're you're complaining about getting old, which look, I'm on board with that, man. Let's talk about that. But you, pillows are helping you. Pillows are 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 in your like as you age and you get more like aches and pains and find it harder to sleep. Pillows are aiding you in your quest to get a good night's sleep. They're not the problem. You are this you're is this is miss this is completely misplaced <laughs> anger and rage on your part. No, I don't feel like there is any possibility of misplaced anger when you're getting old. Like all anger is fine. You're, you're saying any, you can get you're allowed to get angry at anything. <laughs> at anything. But, but the way you're talking about like... this, you're saying like I'm I hate food because I get hungry and then I have to eat it. It's like, this makes no sense. No, I'm saying that I hate food that's bad for me. I don't think pillows are good for me. I just need them all the time. And I feel like at some point I'm just going to be sleeping on one gigantic pillow. Like that my sounds old, great. What you, what, that sounds amazing. <laughs> sleeping on one right, giant how many comfy pillow. How many, how many do I use? Yeah. I use one pillow like a normal human. See, that's good. See, you have avoided the pillow problem. That's my saying. That's how many do you, you, how many do you lay your head on? Four. Four pillows. Four pillows. Four pillows. Yeah. So your 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 head and your body are just making like a perfect right angle. Yeah, I'm basically, and I can't. I I I tried with with less. I mean, I'm sure at some point I'd fall asleep, but I I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one having this problem. But I just when you feel said like you used four pillows, I assumed you meant like you you know two of them were under your head and then one of them right. was like propped up under your arm or something you're saying you actually put your head on a stack of pancakes well, <laughs> that four pillows high they're sort of slammed up against the back stop uh whatever the 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 back thing of the, the headboards headboard, well the yeah. headboard or if, if you're in a hotel it could be up against like a wall or whatever i mean i don't even know what they've they've got but yes you just it's sort of slammed up against there and i i, I don't want to go into the I, all i wanted to make was the the meaningless point that i'm using way more pillows now that's really the only okay see i'm on board with that uh, in, in the world of one last meaningless thing if your one last meaningless thing had been like i can't believe how many pillows i have to sleep with <laughs> full stop that's great i'm totally with you on that that's fine. But to start up by saying pillows are evil. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is from somebody who has, in the past, gone after Big Dresser. Am I, sure. am I, am I right? Big Dresser. Big Dresser. Uh, we're, yeah, we're under the thumb of Big Dresser. Yes. <laughs> and if, and there, are, there have been a few other big uh, company things that you have raged against. I rage against, against a, lot of, a lot of imaginary corporate conglomerates that are trying to <laughs> suppress us and, and remove freedom from our lives. But, that, but those weren't under the guise of one last meaningless thing. This is, that was the draft. That you're, we are in a, in a section of this interminable podcast called One Last Meaningless Thing, which is supposed to be a very straightforward, here's a dumb nothing observation about nothing. <laughs> And you started out by saying pillows are evil. And I thought to myself, ooh, hot take on pillows. Can't wait. Like, let's hear why 
pillows are actually bad instead of just objects that are good and help you sleep. And then you totally, uh, you totally went off on this crazy left turn and didn't in any way defend your position that pillows were evil. I, I still think that the, 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 the fact that pillows are taking over my life is makes them evil. I'm just, that's, that's all I'm saying. Uh, I mean, you, saying? again, you had it, man. Pillows are taking over my life. There's your one last meaningless thing. Stop there. If you get past that to their evil. That's not meaningless enough. It's just not meaningless enough unless I can go ahead and make a, a large but, statement about the pillows. But meaningless doesn't to me mean like absurdist or surreal or something. Like you're just, you're just like... You're just putting words together. I mean, I guess maybe that is meaningless. Maybe you're right. Maybe just like noun is adjective is what all of these should be, right? We should just say, you know, plants are hilarious or whatever. And then that should be so you can say pillows are evil. Your and then next time it's like, was, your last meaningless thing was basically that fake things are better than real things. That's a perfectly fine, meaningless statement. <laughs> I don't see the problem with that. All right, all right. You know what? I think that that was. I think that qualifies as fully meaningless. Well, here's what I would say: if you don't believe that my statement about uh, reusable water bottles or Joe's statement about pillows being evil were meaningless, I think we can all agree that the ensuing five-minute discussion about whether or not they were meaningless is itself meaningless, and thus we have completed our task. We have definitely completed our task, more so, I would say, than ever before. <laughs> we say that every time, though. Every time, it's like, well, this was the worst one. Because <laughs> I think we keep taking it to a new level, which I think is really exciting. <laughs> we, we're, it's every week, it's better than it was the week before. That's, that you've, you, if, if you graft the meaninglessness of this <laughs> podcast, it would, it's a 45-degree angle straight up going from zero and just going out to infinity. It's great. That's what that's what makes it so much fun. So, <laughs> well, as always, thank you. As always, thanks for having.